Please turn with me to that passage Andrew read earlier on in Ezra. Ezra chapter 6. And we'll concentrate in the first half of this chapter. Ezra chapter 6, from verse 1 uh, through verse 12. So, I hate to break it to you, but... Christmas is only, let's work this out, 16 days, 5 hours, and about 6 minutes away. So, are you ready for it? Are you ready for Christmas? Well, if you were to um, judge our attitudes to Christmas by the countless uh, festive adverts that are on uh, the TV at the moment, you would think that there was just kind of unbridled enthusiasm for Christmas, wouldn't you? You would think that there was just universal excitement of this upcoming festive period. But most probably, the reality is somewhat different to that, isn't it? Because for a lot of people, Christmas is a time of worry. A time of worry. Because you've got... Uh, small retailers, small shops, you know, they're worried just now, are people going to come in and do the shopping or are they just going to go on the internet to buy all that they need? More importantly than that, we've got unemployed parents or uh, financially stretched parents who are wondering where on earth are they going to get money to buy all they need for Christmas? How are they going to afford to buy a present for their kids. And even because of the financial situation just now, some people are having to worry even about redundancy. You know, are they going to even have a job by the time that Christmas comes around? So many people are genuinely worried about Christmas, aren't they? Genuinely worried. And then on top of that, what about the people who can't even see that far ahead? What about the people who aren't, who aren't even thinking about Christmas because they've got looming worries on the horizon. You know, they've got test results coming back from the hospital in the next couple of days. Or they're finding out about job interviews or redundancy in the next few days or the next week or so or similar concerns. There is no doubt that in Britain today and especially At this time of year, there's an epidemic. There's an epidemic of worry and of concern and anxiety. And this this passage of scripture that Andrew read, it says a lot about worry. Or more specifically, really, we learn a lot about God's, how God's actions and God's faithfulness can alleviate worry and alleviate, take away anxiety. And we'll consider that, we will, in a minute. But first, let's refresh our memories. Because we've been at this for a few, uh, a few weeks now, Ezra. So what's been happening? You know, we're, we're now in chapter 6. We're getting through it. So what have we seen? Well, we know that Ezra is written in 6th century BC, don't we? And we know it starts, the book starts with this edict from Cyrus 
Cyrus allows the people to come back from Babylon. He allows them to, to go back and to begin work on the temple. And then after we get through the, uh, the list of names in chapter 2, then in chapter 3 we see that the, the people, they get down to business, don't they? They build the altar and then they start work on the temple. And then uh, in chapter 4, do you remember what happened in chapter 4? There was that snag, wasn't there? There was the opposition to the people and the work ceased. And then, where were we last week? Were you here last Sunday night? Well, if you were, we looked at chapter 5. And that's where, after this, you know, the people lost interest for about 15 years. 15 years they lost interest in building the temple. But last week we saw that they encountered the word of God. God came to them at Haggai and Zechariah, and that sparked them into interest again, and they started rebuilding the temple. And then what was the very last thing we saw last week? The last thing. Well, Tatenai, Tatenai sent a letter to the king, to Darius, and he wanted to check whether Cyrus had really issued that decree at the beginning. Were the people of God actually telling the truth about this or not? So the last verse that we saw in, in chapter 5, it says, this is Tatenai, Now if it pleases the king, let a search be made in the royal archives of Babylon to see if King Cyrus did in fact issue a decree to rebuild this house of God in Jerusalem. Okay? So that's the overview. That's the background. But can you put yourself in the shoes of these people at this point. How do you think they'd be feeling at the beginning of chapter 6? Because they've come back to the land with the purpose of building the temple. And okay, they gave it up for a while, but now they're, they're back, they're excited about this. But they have to wait. They have to wait and hear from Darius about how they're going to continue. So can you imagine how worried they're going to be. You know, are they even going to hear back from Darius? What if Darius doesn't find this edict? Do you get it? It's going to look like the people of God were lying. So they're going to be terrified. They're worried. They're concerned. Their whole lives are about this temple. But now that's up in the air. This is a time of worry. Time of anxiety a time of concern for the people of God. So let's get to it. Let's look at chapter 6 and let's look at three things. Three things about how God works in the face of worry. And I'll give you the three points just now at the outset. We see, firstly, the providence of the Lord. Then we see the protection of the Lord. And then we see the provision of the Lord. The providence of the Lord, the protection of the Lord, and then the provision of the Lord. So folks, let's begin. Let's look at point one, the providence of the Lord. Now, picture the scene, if you will. It's about 15 16, maybe even 17 years ago. And I'm uh, sitting with a group of guys my, my own age. 
group of Christian blokes. And we're sitting on a, a Saturday afternoon. And we had been expecting to go to a church meeting. But for some reason, I can't remember what, the meeting was cancelled at the very last minute. So we're sitting around and we are bored out of our minds. So we decide to go and visit another one of our friends. Unannounced, we'll go and visit him. He lives outside the city on a farm. Okay? Now, meanwhile, on that farm, my friend is having an absolute nightmare. He is having a terrible day because it's an important day on the farm. Now, I assure you, I know nothing about farms whatsoever, but it was an important day. It's the day where the sheep, all these sheep, had to be rounded up and put into a barn. Except that his older brother isn't around. He's down south. And his dad, he's been taken ill. And he's had to go to bed. And he would be the one who would normally coordinate it. So there is nobody to help out. So the family, being a lovely, godly family, they decide to pray about this situation. So they get down together, they get at the father's bedside, and they pray about it. And then what happens? The doorbell goes. <laughs> and they come down the stairs and they open the door, and there are eight or nine guys standing there, all bored, ready and looking for something uh, to do. And you can only imagine the scene as we spent the afternoon trying to round up sheep throughout the farm. But do you see it? Do you get the point? The family worried. But God had a plan. In his providence, that meeting they were supposed to go to, it was cancelled. In God's providence, we couldn't think of anything else to do on that Saturday afternoon. In God's providence, the older brother was away. In God's providence, the, the father was ill. All these things became reasons to show that God was in complete control of that situation. God had a plan, didn't he? And it's the same in Ezra chapter 6. Because in the providence of God, it was Darius who was on the throne. Now remember last week, we talked about Cambyses. Now Cambyses was the successor to, to Cyrus. And Cambyses, he was on the throne just for the blink of an eye. And if he had been on the throne, things would have been very, very, very different here. But it wasn't him. It was Darius who was king at this point. And that's important because look at the sort of guy he was. Look at the sort of king that Darius was. He was incredibly sympathetic to the people of God. He took their situation very, very seriously. And, and, in the providence of God, the edict from Cyrus was found, wasn't it? Now, you might say, you might be sitting there thinking, so what? That doesn't sound that impressive. But it's, it's remarkable that they found this edict. You know, because firstly, Darius might not have even bothered looking for it. 
but he did. And if what were the chances of him finding this edict? Because can you imagine just how many edicts these Persian kings would issue? You know, there would be hundreds of these things, thousands of edicts. And can you imagine them actually looking for it? Because what does verse 1 say? It says that they looked in the... Where did they look? They looked in the archives of the treasury at Babylon. So they'd be searching through all these hundreds and thousands of these old, dusty, probably unclassified records looking for one solitary statement from Cyrus. But then what do we read? We read that they find it. And, interestingly, where? Look, verse 2, where did they find the edict? It says... A scroll was found in the citadel of Ekbatana in the providence of Media. So Ekbatana. It sounds like my sort of place, Ekbatana. Because Ekbatana was, I suppose, the equivalent of a modern-day Saint-Tropez. Because Ekbatana was where the royal family would go to spend their summers in search of some decent weather. Uh, so, it's, it was in northern, well, what is modern day, northern Iran. So it had a, a lovely climate, and it's where Cyrus and all his cronies would have gone to, to, to spend their summer holidays. But just think about that. I mean, what a miracle that is, isn't it? It's a miracle that they found it. Because they were looking elsewhere. They were looking in the city of Babylon. And then they find this needle in a haystack and they find it miles away in Ekbatana. And you know, just as an aside, folks, if you were to go out uh, that door and jump on the tube and you were go to Great Russell Street and you were to get out and you were to go into the British Museum, go up the stairs at the back, the glass cabinet, you know what you'd see? You'd see this edict. The, uh, the Cyrus cylinder is still about. Isn't that, isn't that amazing? So, in God's providence, the edict was found, and crucially, importantly, in God's providence, it was found by Darius, a sympathetic king. So let me ask you, Let's apply that. I mean, how are things with you tonight? You know, does that start of the sermon earlier on, does that ring true for you? You know, that anxiety at this time of year, that anxiety with things on the horizon in the next few days and the next few weeks, does that kind of ring true for where you are today? Well, if so, remember... That the situation that you're in just now, it is in the sure and certain plan of God. There is nothing, there's not even a detail of it that is up in the air. There is nothing of your life that is uncertain to God. Now, the people were anxious here. They were anxious whether Darius would find this edict. But such, such is the sure providence of God that they shouldn't have worried. There should be no anxiety. 
So whatever happens to you in the next few days, whatever happens in the next week or so, cling to the fact that it is part of God's plan. It is part of a a gracious and loving and certain plan of God. The providence of the Lord. Now, whether you know the the girl's name or not, I'm sure you're familiar with the story of Rimsha Mizrik. Okay? Rimsha Mizrik. Now, she's that 14-year-old Pakistani girl that was accused of blasphemy by a, a local Muslim cleric. I'm sure you know the story. And the case, it, it, it led to what amounted to an international um, outcry, and all charges against her were eventually dropped. But what's interesting about that story is that there was a real reversal there, wasn't there? Because she was acquitted, and the Muslim cleric who accused her, he was arrested, and he was accused of blasphemy. So the whole situation was entirely kind of flicked on its head. There was a real reversal to it. And that takes us to our second point tonight, because we see here also, point two, the the protection of the Lord. Okay, the protection of the Lord. Because look at the turnaround in Ezra chapter 6. Because just look at these these Persian guys. Uh, What's their names? Tatenai and uh, Shetharbozenai. Now those are the guys who initially opposed and questioned the people of God and referred this case back to Cyrus. But it's these same guys who are by the end, not just allowing the work to continue, but they're actually involved in it. They have to get their hands dirty and help out. There's a complete and utter reversal in Ezra 6. And who would have thought that, really? You know, when you... You know, when you read chapter 5 and you read of Tatenai appearing on the scene, you think, no, you know, there's more opposition. The people of God are going to cave in again. And who'd have thought that just in the blink of an eye, God would have used that situation. And Tatenai and these person officials, they're going to have to allow the work and they're going to have to help with the money and with the material things that the people of God need. The situation it is flicked on its head. And then, consider the threats that are made in this chapter. Okay, consider the threats that Darius makes to anyone who might dare to oppose the people of God. What does he say? Well, Darius says that anyone who opposes them will be impaled and that their house will be knocked down. So do you see the irony in that? You see the irony? Darius is saying, if you oppose work, a house of God, then your house is getting knocked down. And then he will use a beam from your house as the implement of punishment. You see, it's as though God has got a ring of protection around his people here. 
You know, they might have been worried, but they, they needn't be. God was ensuring that nothing could stand against them. He was protecting them at all costs. So, friend, again, I ask you, have you got worries in your life? Are there things on the horizon that are, are scaring you? Are they things that seem all-consuming? Well, just as God protected his people in Ezra chapter 6, he can protect you from these worries that you face. Now, we are assured of difficulties. We will face difficulties. But God, he can protect us from the worry. He can protect us from the anxiety that accompanies these difficult times. Because Psalm 18, it says that the Lord is a shield. He is a shield to all those who trust in him. And more than that, you know, just as he flicked the situation on its head in Ezra chapter 6, be assured that he can flick your situation on its head too. He can change you out of your present difficulties because nothing, nothing is impossible to our God. So point two, the protection of the Lord, the protection of the Lord. So does the name um, Josh McDowell, does that mean anything to anyone here? Josh McDowell didn't mean much to me, I have to confess. Josh McDowell is a Christian writer, Christian author. Now, I'm not recommending anything that he's written. I haven't read anything that he's written. But I did read about Josh McDowell this week. Now, Josh McDowell's dad died. And that got McDowell thinking about his mother And his mother had died a few years previously. And McDowell was worried about this situation. And he he started to worry about what her spiritual life had been like. You know, had his mother, had she been a Christian? Had she repented and believed? And this troubled him. And the, the trouble and the anxiety grew and grew and grew. And eventually... McDowell just got down on his hands and knees and he pleaded with God. And he asked God to take the worry away. That he would just take this anxiety away from McDowell. Anyway, not long after this, McDowell was on holiday. or He was away. He was in another city in another part of America. And he was walking along a pier. And he stopped, and there was an elderly lady there. So McDowell started to speak to this elderly lady. And it turns out this elderly lady was from the same city as McDowell. And then it turns out that the lady was from the same suburb of that same city. And it turns out that she knew the family. So McDowell asked her, Did you know my mother? And she said, Yes, I knew your mother. When we were teenagers, we went to the same church meeting 
And we were both converted at that meeting. And we both professed faith that day. And that takes us to a third point, and that is the provision of the Lord. Because just look at this, look at the chapter, look at the incredible way that God uses Darius to provide for his people. Look at it, it's marvelous. Because I'm pretty sure that the people of God, the best that they were hoping for was that Darius would get back to them and allow them to continue with the work. But no, it's much, much more than that. Look what they're given. Look what God provides. Have a look. The expenses for the people of God are to be paid out and out of Darius's pocket. Okay? Then all the foodstuffs um, that are to be used by the priests, they are to be provided, and they're not just to be provided, they're to be provided every single day, on a daily basis. And the sacrifices to be used in the temple, they've to be provided, and not just provided, by decree of Darius, they've got to be sacrifices that will be pleasing to God. Isn't that amazing? This pagan king is used by God to provide things way above, way above and beyond anything that the people could have hoped for. So, in the face of what is going on in your life just now, okay, in the face of what will be very real worries, be assured that if you wholeheartedly trust God and you lay concerns at his throne, then you will be guaranteed to see blessing through these hardships. You know, Paul says in Philippians 4, he says this, he says, God will meet all your needs. God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Jesus Christ. And you can't tell me that that's not true. Because just look back on your life. Look back on what God has done for you. All the times that he's answered prayer. And not just answered it, but answered it in the most incredible and abundant ways. Now I read this quote earlier this week about God's faithful provision. See what you think of this quote, okay? The minister says this. He says, we can be certain... That God will give us strength, the strength and resources we need to live through any situation in life that he ordains. The will of God will never take us to where the grace of God cannot sustain us. The will of God will never take us to where the grace of God cannot sustain us. So if you're worried tonight... If there is trouble on the horizon, then trust in God. A God who provides. And remember this verse, okay? Because who knows what this week holds. So if you're confronted with trouble, remember this verse. Ephesians 3.20. Take it with you. God is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine. 
And then let's end tonight with a question. Where do we see God's provision most clearly? Where do we see God's hand of blessing most clearly? Well, look at verse 9. Look at verse 9. Because it says, Whatever is needed, young bulls, rams, male lambs for burnt offerings to the God of heaven. Do you see it? It says that someone else provided the sacrifice for the sins of the people of God. It says that the king took it upon himself to provide the necessary sacrifice. And surely that is a picture of what would happen hundreds of years later at Golgotha. Because God's provision is most clearly seen in the once and for all sacrifice of his son on the cross. So are you worried tonight? Well, in the face of these worries, it is Christ. And it is Christ alone who can truly say, come to me, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. So yeah, God is a God of providence. And God is a God of protection. But just consider the cross. Look at the cross. Our God is a God of the most amazing and abundant provision. Let's pray.